Chapter Two of With Frederick the Great: A Story of the Seven Years' War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Oldham. With Frederick the Great: A Story of the Seven Years' War by G. A. Henty. Chapter Two. Joining. In answer to the shout of Donald, a tall man in the pantaloons of a Prussian regiment, but with his tunic laid aside, came out from a small room that served as a kitchen and dormitory for himself. I am just ready, sir, he said, hearing you talking as you came along, and not knowing who you might have with you. I just ran in to put on my coat, but as you passed and I heard it was Scottish you were speaking, I knew that it didn't matter. Put another plate and goblet on the table, Donald. I hope that you have meat enough for two of us. Plenty for four, the soldier said. The market was full this morning, and the folks so tanned up with this talk of war and so puzzled because no one could make out what it was about that they did more gossiping than marketing. So when the time came for the market to close, I got half a young pig at less than I should have paid for a joint as the woman did not want to carry it home again this is lucky as you are from perth donald it is possible you may know this gentleman he is mr fergus drummond of tarbet i kenned his father weel i and was close beside him at Culloden. for when our company was broken i joined one that was making a stand close by and it was drummond who was leading it stoutly did we fight and to the end stood back to back hewing with our claymores at their muskets at last i fell wounded i couldn't say where at the time when i came to myself and finding that all was quiet sat up and felt myself over i found that it was a musket bullet that had ploughed along the top of my head and would have killed me had it not been that my skull was as my father has often said when i was a boy thicker than ordinary there was dead men lying all about me but it was a dark night and as there was no time to be lost if i was to save my skin i crawled away to some distance from the field and then took to my heels and did not stop till next morning when i was far away among the hills while he was talking donald had been occupied in adding a second plate and knife and fork and glass and the two officers sat down to their meal fergus asked the soldier other questions as to the fight in which his father had lost his life for beyond that he had fought to the last with his face to the foe the lad had never learnt any particulars for of the clansmen who had accompanied his father that one had ever returned mr drummond will take the empty room next to mine donald i am going down now with him to the inn where he has left his horse as he has a few things there you had best come with us and bring them here the landlord of the inn on hearing that fergus wished to sell his horse said that there were two travellers in the house who had asked him about horses as both had sold two officers fine animals they had brought in from the country there being at present a great demand for horses of that class one of these persons came in as they were speaking and after a little bargaining fergus sold the horse to him at a small advance on the price he had given for it at stettin the landlord himself bought the saddle and bridle 
for a few marks saying that he could at any time find a customer for such matters donald took the valises and cloak and carried them back to the palace the matter is all comfortably settled lindsay said now we are free men but my liberty won't last long i shall have to go on duty again in half an hour but at any rate there is time to go first with you to the tailors and put your uniform in hand i wish to be measured for the uniform of the third royal dragoon guards fergus said as he entered the shop and the proprietor came up to him yes herr tots and his excellency marshal keith lindsay put in wishes you to know that the dress suit must be made instantly or quicker if possible for his majesty may at any moment order mr drummond to attend upon him mr drummond is appointed one of the marshal's aides-de-camp and therefore he will often come under the king's eye you may well believe that the fit must be of the best where you are likely to hear of it as well as mr drummond i will put it in hand at once lieutenant it shall be cut out without delay and in three hours if mr drummond will call here it shall be tacked together in readiness for the first trying on by eight o'clock tomorrow morning it shall be ready to be properly fitted and unless my men have bungled which they very seldom do it shall be delivered by midday mr drummond lodges in the next room to myself the lieutenant said and my servant is looking after him till he gets one of his own so you can leave it with him while the conversation was going on two of the assistants were measuring fergus will you have the uniform complete with belts helmet and all equipments everything except the sword fergus said at least i suppose lindsay we can carry our own swords yes the king has made that concession which is a wonderful one for him that scottish officers in his service may carry their own swords you see ours are longer and straighter than the german ones and most of us have learnt our exercises with them and certainly we would not fight so well with others besides the iron basket protects one's hand and wrist vastly better than the foreign guard the concession was first made only to generals field officers and aides de camp but keith persuaded the king at last to grant it to all scottish officers pointing out that they were able to do much better service with their own claymores than with weapons to which they were altogether unaccustomed and that scottish men were accustomed to fight with the edge and to strike downright sweeping blows whereas the swords here are fitted only for the point which although doubtless superior in a duel is far less effective in a general melee i should certainly be sorry to give up my own sword fergus said it was one of my fathers and since the days when i was big enough to begin to use it i have always exercised myself with though i too have learned to use the point a great deal as i had a german instructor as well as several scottish ones except in a duel lindsay said i should doubt if skill goes for very much i have never tried it myself for i have never had the luck to be in a battle but i fancy that in a cavalry charge strength goes for more than skill and the man who can strike quickly and heavily will do more execution than one trained to all sorts of nice points and feints i grant that these are useful when two men are watching each other 
but in the heat of battle when every one is cutting and thrusting for his life i cannot think that there is any time for fooling about with your weapon they had by this time left the shop and were strolling down the streets is there much dueling here it is strictly forbidden lindsay said with a laugh but i need hardly say that there is a good deal of it of course pains are taken that these affairs do not come to his majesty's ears fever or a fall from a horse account satisfactorily enough for the absence of an officer from parade and even his total disappearance from the scene can be similarly explained should the affair come to the king's ears tis best to keep out of his way until it has blown over of course with us it does not matter quite so much as with prussian officers Frederick's is not the only service open to us good swords are welcome either at the russian or austrian courts to say nothing of those of half a dozen minor principalities at all of these we are sure to find countrymen and friends and if england really enters upon the struggle and it seems to me that if there is a general row she can scarcely stand aloof men who have learned their drill and seen some service might be welcome even if their fathers wielded their arms on the losing side ten years ago of course to a prussian officer it would be practical ruin to be dismissed from the army this is so thoroughly well understood that in cases of duels there is sort of a general conspiracy on the part of all the officers and surgeons of a regiment to hush the matter up still if an officer is insulted or thinks that he is insulted which is about the same thing he fights and takes the consequences i am not altogether sorry that i am an aide-de-camp and i think that you can congratulate yourself on the same fact for we are not thrown as is a regimental officer into the company of prussians and there is therefore far less risk of getting into a quarrel i have no doubt the marshal himself will give you a few lessons shortly he is considered to be one of the finest swordsmen in europe and in many respects he is as young as i am and as fond of adventure he gave me a few when i first came to him but he said that it was time thrown away for that i must put myself in the hands of some good mate the arms before he could teach me anything that would be useful i have been working hard with one since and know a good deal more about it than i did but my teacher says that i am too hot and impetuous to make a good swordsman and that though i should do well enough in a melee i shall never be able to stand up against a cool man in a duel of course the marshal had no idea of teaching me arms but merely as he said of showing me a few passes that might be useful to me on occasion in reality he loves to keep up his sword-play and once or twice a week van bruff who is the best master in berlin comes in for half an hour's practice with him before breakfast after lindsay had left him at the entrance to the palace fergus wandered about the town for some hours and then went into the tailor's and had his uniform tried on merely run together though it was the coat fitted admirably you are an easy figure to fit herr drummond the tailor said there is no credit in putting together a coat for you your breeches are a little too tight you have a much more powerful leg than is common but that however is easily altered here are a dozen pairs of high boots i notice the size of your foot and have no doubt that you will find some of these to fit you 
this was indeed the case and among a similar collection of helmets fergus also had no difficulty in suiting himself i think that you will find everything ready for you by half past eight the tailor said and i trust that no further alteration will be required six of my best journeymen will work all night at the close and even should his majesty send for you by ten i trust that you will be able to make a proper appearance before him though at present i cannot guarantee that some trifling alteration will not be found necessary when you try the uniforms on fergus supped with the marshal who had now time to ask him many more questions about his home life and the state of things in scotland tis a sore pity he said that we scotchmen and irishmen who are to be found in such numbers in every european army are not all arrayed under the flag of our country methinks that the time is not far distant when it will be so i am as you know a jacobite but there is no shutting one's eyes to the fact that the cause is a lost one the expedition of james the third and still more that of charles edward have caused such widespread misery among the stuart's friends that i cannot conceive that any further attempt of the same kind will be made in fact there is no one to make it the prince has lost almost all his friends by his drunken habits and his quarrelsome and overbearing disposition he has gone from court to court as a suppliant but has everywhere alienated the sympathies of those most willing to befriend him i may say that as a king of england and scotland he is now impossible and his own habits have done more to ruin his cause than even the defeat of collodion there are doubtless many in both countries who consider themselves jacobites but it is a matter of sentiment and not of passion at any rate there is no head to the cause now and cannot possibly be unless the prince had a son therefore for at least five and twenty years the cause is dead even if the prince leaves an heir it would be absurd to entertain the idea that after the stuarts had been expelled from england a hundred years any scotchman or englishman would be mad enough to risk his life and property to restore them to the throne another generation and the hanoverians will have become englishmen and the sentiment against them as foreigners will have died out then there will be no reason why scotchmen and irishmen should any longer go abroad and all who wish it will be able to find employment in the army of their own country this indeed might have happened long before this had the georges forgotten that they were electors of hanover as well as kings of great britain and had surrounded themselves with englishmen instead of filling their courts with germans whose arrogance and greed made them hateful to the englishmen and kept before their eyes the fact that the kings were foreigners hanover is a source of weakness instead of strength to great britain and its loss would be an unmixed benefit to her for as long as it remains under the british crown so long must britain play a part in european politics a part too sometimes absolutely opposed to the interests of the country at large after supper was over two general officers dropped in for a chat with the marshal he introduced fergus to them and the latter then retired and joined the little party of scottish officers at lindsay's quarters lindsay introduced him to them and he was very heartily received and it was not until very late that they turned in to bed 
at half past eight next morning fergus went to the tailor's and found that he had kept his promise to the letter the uniforms fitted admirably and were complete in every particular as marshal keith had the evening before informed him that he had received his appointment to the third royal dragoon guards he had no hesitation in putting on a uniform when a quarter of an hour later it arrived at his quarters donald went out and fetched the hairdresser who combed powdered and tied up his hair in proper military fashion when he left donald took him in hand and attired him in his uniform showed him the exact angle at which his belt should be worn and the military salute that should be given it was fortunate that he was in readiness for at half past ten lindsay came in with a message from the marshal that he was at once to repair to the palace with or without a uniform as the king had sent to say that he should visit keith at eleven and that he could then present his cousin to him it could not be said that fergus felt comfortable as he started from his quarters accustomed to a loose dress and light shoes he felt stiff and awkward in his tight garments closely buttoned up and his heavy jack-boots and he found himself constrained to walk with the same stiffness and precision that had amused him in the prussian offices on the previous day so you have got your uniform the marshal said as fergus entered and saluted as donald had instructed him it becomes you well lad and the king will be pleased at seeing you in it he could not have blamed you had it not be ready for the time has been short indeed but he will like to see you in it and will consider that it shows alacrity and zeal presently the door opened and as the marshal rose and saluted fergus knew that it was the king he had never had the king described to him and he had depicted to himself a stiff and somewhat austere figure but the newcomer was somewhat below middle height with a kindly face and the air rather of a sober citizen than of a military martinet the remarkable feature of his face were his eyes which were very large and blue with a quick piercing glance that seemed to read the mind of any one to whom he addressed himself so striking were they that the king when he went about the town in disguise was always obliged to keep his eyes somewhat downcast as however well made up they would have betrayed him at once had he looked fixedly at any one who had once caught sight of his face good morning marshal he said in a friendly tone so this is my last recruit a goodly young fellow truly he walked round fergus as if he were examining a lay figure closely scrutinizing every article of his appointment then gave a nod of approbation always keep yourself like that young sir an officer is unfit to take charge of men unless he can set an example of exactness in dress if a man is precise in little things he will be careful in other matters although he is going to be your aide-de-camp keith he had better go to his regimental barracks and drill for a few hours a day if you can spare him he shall certainly do so sire i spoke to his colonel yesterday evening and told him that i would myself take the lad down to him this morning and present him to his comrades of the regiment it would be well if he could have six months drilling for an aide-de-camp should be well acquainted with the meaning of the orders he carries as he is in this case far less likely to make mistakes than he would otherwise be your majesty has nothing more to say to him nothing i hope he is not quarrelsome but there 
it is of no use my hoping that keith for your scotchman is a quarrelsome creature by nature at least so it seems to me of the duels that in spite of my orders take place i know you all try to hide them from me keith i hear of a good many between these hot-headed countrymen of yours and my prussian officers with deference to your majesty i don't think that that proves much it would be as fair to say that these duels show how aggressive are your prussian officers towards my quiet and patient countrymen now you can retire cornet fergus gave the military salute and retired to the anteroom have you passed muster lindsay asked him with a laugh yes at least the king found nothing wrong he was not at all what i thought he would be no i was astonished myself the first time i saw him he is a capital fellow in spite of his severity in matters of military etiquette and discipline he is very kind-hearted does not stand at all upon his dignity bears no malice and very soon remits punishment he has given in the heat of the moment i think that he regards us scotch as being a people for whom allowances must be made on the ground of our inborn savagery and ignorance of civilized customs he does not mind plain speaking on our part and if in the humour will talk with us much more familiarly than he would do to a prussian officer in a few minutes the bell in the next room sounded lindsay went in are the horses at the door yes marshal then we will mount at once i told the colonel of the third that i should be at the barracks by twelve o'clock unless the king wanted me on his business fergus had already put on his helmet and he and lindsay followed keith downstairs in the courtyard where the horses which were held by orderlies that is yours fergus keith said it has plenty of bone and blood and should carry you well for any distance fergus warmly thanked the marshal for the gift it was a very fine horse and capable of carrying double his weight it was fully caparisoned with military bridle and saddle and horse cloth they mounted at once the orderlies ran to their horses which was held by a mounted trooper and the four fell in behind the officers lindsay and fergus rode half a length behind the marshal but the latter had some difficulty in keeping his horse in that position the marshal smiled it does not understand playing second fiddle fergus you see it has been accustomed to head the procession as they rode along the street all officers and soldiers stood as stiff as statues at the salute the marshal returning it as punctiliously though not as stiffly in a quarter of an hour they arrived at the gate of a large barracks the guard turned out as soon as the marshal was seen approaching and a trumpet call was heard in the courtyard as they entered the gate fergus was struck with the spectacle the like of which he had never seen before the whole regiment was drawn up in parade order the colonel was some distance in the front the officers ranged at intervals behind him suddenly the colonel raised the sword above his head a flash of steel ran along the line eight trumpeters sounded the first note of a military air and the regiment stood at the salute men and horses immovable as if carved in stone a minute later the music stopped the colonel raised his sword again there was another flash of steel and the salute was over then the colonel rode forward to meet the marshal nothing could have been better my dear colonel the latter said and i told you yesterday my inspection of your regiment is but mere form 
for I know well that nothing could be more perfect than its order. But I must report to the king that I have inspected all the regiments now in Berlin and Potsdam and others that will form my command, should any untold event disturb the peace of the country. But before I begin, permit me to present to you this young officer who was yesterday appointed to your regiment. I have already spoken to you of him. This is Cornet Fergus Drummond, a cousin of my own, and whom I recommend strongly to you. As I informed you, he will, for the present, act as one of my aide-de-camp. You have lost no time in getting a uniform, Mr. Drummond, the colonel said. I am sure that you will be most cordially received by all my officers as by myself, as a relation of the marshal whom we all respect and love. I will now proceed to the inspection, the marshal said, as he proceeded towards the end of the line. The colonel rode beside him, but a little behind. The two aides de camps followed, and the four troopers brought up the rear. They proceeded along the front rank, the officers having before this taken up their position in the line. The marshal looked closely at each man as he passed, horse as well as man being inspected. I do not think, Colonel, that the king himself could have discovered the slightest fault or blemish. The regiment is simply perfect. I hope that, during the next few days, you will have every shoe inspected by the farrier, and every one showing the least sign of wear taken off and replaced, and that you will also direct the captains of troops to see that the men's kits are in perfect order. That shall be done, sir, though I own that I cannot see against whom we are likely to march. For though the air is full of rumors, all our neighbors seem to think of nothing so little as war. It may be, Keith said with a smile, that is merely his majesty's attention to see in how short a time we can place an army, complete in every particular, and ready for a campaign in the field. His majesty is fond of trying military experiments. I hope, Marshal, that you will do us the honor of drinking a goblet of champagne with us, some of my officers have not yet been presented to you, and I shall be glad to take the opportunity of doing so. With pleasure, Colonel. A good offer should never be refused. By this time they had moved to the front of the regiment. Officers and men of the 3rd Royal Dragoon Dards, Keith said in a loud voice, I shall have great pleasure in reporting to the king the results of my inspection that the regiment is in a state of perfect efficiency and that i have been unable to detect the smallest irregularity or blemish i am quite sure that if you should at any time be called upon to fight the enemies of your country you will show that your conduct and courage will be fully equal to the excellence of your appearance i feel that whatever men can do you will do god save the king he lifted his plumed hat the trumpet sounded, and the men gave the royal salute, and then a loud cheer burst from the ranks. For the rumor's current had raised a feeling of excitement throughout the regiment, and though no man could see from what point danger threatened, all felt that great events were at hand. The regiment was then dismissed, hoarse words of command were shouted, and each troop moved off to its stable, while the colonel and Keith rode to the officer's anteroom. The trumpets at the same time sounding the officer's call. In a few minutes, 
all were gathered there the colonel first presented some of his young officers to the marshal and then introduced fergus to his new comrades among whom were two scotch officers mr drummond will for the present serve with the marshal as one of his aides de camp but i hope that he will soon join the regiment where at any rate he will at all times find a warm welcome keith had already told the colonel that for the present fergus would be released from all duty as an aide-de-camp and would spend his time in acquiring the rudiments of drill champagne was now served round the officers drank the health of the marshal and he in return drank to the regiment then all formality was laid aside for a time and the marshal laughed and chatted with the officers as if he had been one of themselves fergus was surrounded by a group were all pleased at finding that he could already talk the language fluently and in spite of the jealousy of the scottish officers felt throughout the service the impression that he made was a very favourable one and the hostility of race was softened by the fact that he was a near relation of the marshal who was universally popular he won favour too by saying when the colonel asked whether he would rather have a scottish or a prussian troopers signed to him as servant and orderly that he would choose one of the latter after speaking to the adjutant the colonel gave an order and two minutes later a tall and powerful trooper entered the room and saluted the adjutant went up to him carl hoger he said you are appointed orderly and servant to mr fergus drummond he is quartered at the officer's house facing the palace you will take your horse round there and await his arrival he will show you where it is to be stabled. You are released from all regimental duty until further orders. The man saluted and retired, without the slightest change of face to show whether the appointment was agreeable to him or otherwise. Half an hour later, the marshal mounted and with his party rode back to the palace. After he had dismounted, Lindsay and Fergus rode across to their quarters. Carl Hoger was standing at the entrance holding his horse he saluted as the two officers came up i will go in and see if dinner is ready lindsay said i told donald that we should be back at half past one and it is nearly two now and i am hungry as a hunter fergus led the way to the stable and pointed out to the trooper the two stalls that the horses were to occupy for each room in the officers quarter had two stalls attached to it the one for the occupant the other for his orderly i suppose you have not dined yet carl no sir but that does not matter i don't want you to begin by fasting here are a couple of walks when you have stabled the horse and finished here you had better go out and get yourself dinner i shall not be able to draw rations for you to-day after you have done come to the main entrance where i met you and take the first corridor to the left mine is the fifth room on the right hand side if i am not in knock at the next door to it on this side you will see lieutenant lindsay's name on it you need not be in any hurry over your meal for i am just going to have dinner and certainly shall not want you for an hour on reaching lindsay's quarters fergus found that dinner was waiting and he and lindsay lost no time in attacking a fine fish that donald had bought in the market this is a fine regiment of yours drummond lindsay said magnificent of course i never saw anything like it before but it was certainly splendid yes they distinguished themselves in the campaigns of silesia very much 
their colonel grim is a capital officer very strict but a really good fellow and very much liked by his officers however if i were you i should be in no hurry to join i had two years and a half in an infantry regiment before keith appointed me one of his aide-de-camps and i can tell you it was hard work drill from morning till night we were stationed at a miserable country place without any amusements or anything to do and as at that time there did not seem the most remote chance of active service it was a dog's life every one was surly and ill-tempered and i had to fight two duels what about about nothing as far as i could see a man said something about scotch officers in a tone i did not like i was out of temper and instead of turning it off with a laugh i took it up seriously and threw a glass at his head so of course we fought we wounded each other twice and then the others stopped the second affair was just as absurd except that i got the best of it and i sliced the man's sword arm so deeply that he was on the sick list for two months the result of an accident as the surgeon put down so although i didn't say but that there is much better class of men in the third than there was in my regiment i should not be in any hurry to join if there is a row you will see ten times as much as an aide-de-camp as you would in your regiment while during peacetime there is no comparison at all between our lives as aide-de-camps and that of regimental officers i fancy you have rather a treasure in the man they have told off to you he was the colonel's servant at one time but he got drunk one day and of course the colonel had to send him back to the ranks one of the officers told me about him when he came in and said that he was one of the best riders and swordsmen in the regiment the adjutant told me that he has specially chosen him for you because he had a particularly good mount and that as your orderly it would be of great importance that he should be able to keep up with you of course he got the horse when he was the colonel's orderly and though he was sent back to the ranks six months ago the colonel who was really fond of the man allowed him to keep it i thought it seemed an uncommonly good animal when he led it into the stable fergus said plenty of bone and splendid quarters i hope he is not unwilling to come to me it is a great fall from being a colonel's servant to becoming a cornet's i don't suppose he will mind that and at any rate while he is here the berth will be such an easy one that i have no doubt he will be well content with it and i dare say that he and donald will get on well together donald is a cuirassier after keith appointed me as one of his aides he got me transferred to the cuirassiers who are stationed at potsdam that was how i came to get hold of donald as a servant a few minutes after they had done dinner there was a knock at the door the orderly entered and saluted you will find my man in there lindsay said at present mr drummond and i are living together i dare say you and he will get on very comfortably for the next fortnight fergus spent the whole day in barracks he was not put through the usual preliminary work but the colonel understanding what would be most useful to him had him instructed in the words of command necessary for carrying out simple movements 
his place as cornet with a troop when in line or column and being quick intelligent and anxious to learn fergus soon began to feel himself at home End of chapter two